Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. I'm Jill Enders sitting in today for attorney Joe Cordell. And here with us, we have Nina Windsor, managing partner at Tucker Allen. And we're uh, diving into the case of actress Anne Heche, who recently died after crashing her car into a home. And as most of you have probably heard, because it's made headlines, she died without a will. Now, Nina, we've done shows before uh, about prominent people, business people, uh, actors, actresses that died without a will. And that's always surprising to me because you think they have all these people on the payroll that you would think would be watching out for them. But I am not really surprised about Anne Heche because... You know, from what we've heard and read about her, um, mentally unstable, and then her background growing up. um, You know, she grew up very poor. Her dad bounced around from job to job, was involved in all these get-rich-quick schemes. And then later on, um, after the parents' divorce, she was living in like a one-room apartment with her mom and siblings before she got her big break um, for the soap opera Another World. So, you know, there's been a lot of instability in her life. I, wh- I mean, what are your thoughts? Are you surprised? Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning. Count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. I'm always surprised, but I'm becoming less so. The more of these celebrity probate cases that we do, uh, because you think that you're surrounding yourself with people like maybe a financial planner or somebody who's handling your banking affairs, most likely a lawyer. Almost anyone in the entertainment industry would have a lawyer. And you would think that those people would at least encourage you to get your wishes in writing. I think what we see in this case, however, though, that in writing uh, definition means you're supposed to actually go to an attorney and get something formalized in the state where you reside so that's compliant with the law in that state. And clearly that didn't happen here. But it, it it's something that's oftentimes a priority to, to people. You know, it's really a priority, but they actually just put it off. Uh, yeah. And and so that can happen with anyone that you run into on a normal day-to-day basis, but we also see it a lot with celebrities. And she did her, if you want to call it a will, which it's really not, in the form of an email. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we're definitely going to dive into that. So, um, you know, it's interesting because you'll hear things in the news about proposed legislation allowing for something that is a a virtual will or an electronic will. And there are some uh, states that are bending more towards allowing people to at least sign electronically to have their witnesses be remote. This is something that came up a lot during COVID. Sure. Uh, But when you talk about an electronic will, it is not the same thing as an email. 
although from a legal definition, saying something's in writing oftentimes includes an email from someone, there's usually a little bit of scrutiny that comes with that as far as the authentication process. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, how do we know this really came from her? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and wills have to be notarized. I mean... It, they do, and they normally require witnesses as well. Yes. So it's, you know, not the type of thing where you're like, okay, everybody stand in my office while I send this email to someone. It just does not work that right. way. Um, particularly the content of something that even if it was an electronic will or anything that's going to come under more scrutiny that isn't done in the same fashion as what the statute is dictating. Um, In this particular instance, Anne Heche supposedly sent an email to her lawyer back in 2011 saying that she wanted, who is now her ex-partner, to recover all of her assets and have control over them. Now, The interesting thing about this is that it it was said in terms of this person, uh, Mr. Tupper, having control over them for the purposes of the benefit of her minor children. Now, Tupper, he, James Tupper, he's the ex-boyfriend, right? He is. He's the father of her youngest child, Atlas, Atlas. who at the time of her death was 13. She also had a son um, who is... 20. Homer. Homer. And so those are the only two children that are involved in this probate. And then, of course, we um, have have James Tupper, who's also been significantly involved in this probate process. Okay, so she sends this email to a lawyer, right? Yes. yes. Well, if he's a decent lawyer, wouldn't he say, okay, Anne, this isn't going to work? It's possible that he did. I mean, nobody we really just knows. Don't know. And that that part of the actual distribution of the assets, you think that's where you start in a probate process, right? You're like, okay, let's start gathering up the assets and figure out where they go. This particular probate didn't even get that far because there has been so much conflict about who is actually in control of being the fiduciary, that representative of the estate, that since August— Um, All the way up until the end of last year, all the court has been focusing on is who's going to be the personal representative for the estate and whether that person is also going to be handling the assets on behalf of Atlas, the younger child. Yeah, lots of moving parts in this case. So the older brother, uh, the 20-year-old Homer, he wants to be the— guardian at litem for Atlas, correct? Or so he, did? He, um, he wanted to be the actual uh, guardian, but for purposes of all of the state assets, he wanted to be the representative. The person who wanted to be guardian at litem was actually James Tupper. Okay, the boyfriend. Um, the boyfriend. So he was saying, look, Homer can go ahead and represent the estate, even though I don't think he's qualified. You know, I think this is a mistake on the part of the court if they appoint him. Um, but... I want to be appointed to represent all of Atlas's interests for purposes of this probate. I want to have my thumb in the pie on the control Mm -hmm. of how this is all going to be handled. At the end of the day, after months of arguing about this, so who knows what legal fees we're looking at here Uh, on both sides. Yeah, probably pretty well up there. um, The court said no, Homer can actually represent the entire estate. 
Homer, okay. Uh, yes. So the older son is going to be the estate representative for all purposes. Okay. Now, it took a while to get there. There was a lot of mudslinging on the part of James Tupper saying Atlas has already not been happy. Homer's not being very forthcoming about different personal property items. And the court, you know, basically was like, look, we're not going to even deal with that right now um, unless there's significant evidence that he is had fraud, neglect, waste, mismanagement, embezzlement, or he's incapacitated, he's going to be able to act as administrator. Now, are you surprised that it, you know, the judge ruled in this way? Um, Not necessarily, because from the statute, if there is no will, the next person in line is a person over the age of majority as a descendant and was not married. Um, she True. didn't have a will that nominated a good friend or a professional to act in this capacity. And so because of that, Homer was the legally next person in line. So basically the presumption is that he would serve and you would have to present evidence that he was unfit to serve. And one of the things that's interesting is that um, the judge actually said – that Homer is qualified to act as sole administrator, and in the state of California, a person can be even illiterate and still be considered qualified. Really? So the standard is very low, low. Yeah, I <laughs> to was be able say. to act, and therefore Homer has met that. Do we think he's going to be you know, a, a younger man with the— Possibly not the life experience uh, of uh, doing any paperwork in his entire life. Mm -hmm. Is he going to be the best representative of an estate there ever was? Most likely not. But if you think about it, would you rather have your ex-boyfriend be appointed as the administrator of your estate? Um, You know, Even though he is the father of her younger child, but you have to figure there's a reason— He's her ex-boyfriend. Right. And there's probably some significant bias there towards, you know, his son. His own son, right. Right. So since he's of no relation, actually the court would most likely go to someone else who would—because the other son is too young to serve. The court would then look if Homer was unable to serve towards other relatives, the next of kin of the decedent. Now, didn't James Tupper also claim that Anne sent him an email— Yes. Do we did they recover that email or do we know or it it's being talked about like like oh this is this outstanding issue. We'll have to wait and see how it goes. I mean, you know, we love a good wait and see. Yeah, we, we do. We, now we we're do. on the edge of our chairs waiting to waiting, see what happens yeah. with this probate. It could go on for a very long time. But in my mind, it doesn't really matter. Now they're saying, oh, you know, the judge hasn't addressed it. It's possible that Tupper sent the email from Anne's email to him himself. Um, People do all sorts of weird, crazy things with that. And it's a very strange thing to put in an email. I don't know what their relationship was at that time. More evidence may be presented. But again, it really doesn't matter. I think this is more going to prove whether her intent was that he managed the funds, that she thought that he was a a strong fiduciary, that he wasn't going to uh, mismanage the funds on behalf yeah. of Atlas. But Homer is over 18. At no point is Tupper going to have control over Homer's assets once they've been mm-hmm. distributed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and then to complicate matters, there's a lawsuit which— Multiple. Yeah. Multiple but lawsuits. But the one that— 
really stands out is the one that relates to how she died. She crashed into that home. Right. And unfortunately, if you're going to pick a house to run into, you should pick a house that the person who owns the house is also living in the house because that's how she ended up with two lawsuits. One is on behalf of the renter sure. who says that they've had psychological issues from it and that you know their personal property has been destroyed, um, their belongings have been destroyed. And then another $2 million lawsuit on behalf of the owner of the home who had to move the tenant out and has lost that rental income. So there's two lawsuits and they're both wanting $2 million each. Correct. Okay, and then from what we know, her estate may only be worth, what, $4 million? They're estimating $4 million. Um, there's a memoir that's coming out this month. Yeah. We're and not here to promote it. We don't know no, anything no, about no. it. Um, but th- we may have to read it now because, I, you know, I'm wanting to now. Uh, but there's a memoir and there's going to be uh, residuals also from her acting roles that will come in gradually. And there's probably going to be able to be some sort of an estimate for what those are producing. Um, so because of that, the value of her estate is not set. I think she had a first book. Now there's a second one. Um, so there's royalties and things like that. And then it would be whatever her assets were at the time. No inventory has been filed. Because remember, until you get somebody appointed for the estate, which basically just happened right? Uh, because of all of the infighting on this, you don't have those deadlines of actually collecting the assets. And now that Homer has been appointed, he can start actually getting the nuts and bolts together of what is included in this estate because he now has authority to contact those banks and and to sell property or anything like that uh, because he's been granted that authority by the court. So let's say the book wasn't on the table or, or the residuals from the acting roles and say her estate was only $4 million. So these two lawsuits could just wipe out the entire state if those two parties would win. Well, remember that they are a, a round $2 million demand. You know, this isn't talking about what the actual damages were. Right. When you're writing a demand letter as a plaintiff's attorney, you pick a number that's far higher right. because you want to hopefully settle with the estate at a number that's somewhere between zero and that number yeah, that yeah, you yeah. set. So will it wipe things out? The only reason I think it might is this third lawsuit. The third claim against the estate, and it's not necessarily a lawsuit, it's, you know, a creditor claim creditor, against the right. estate, um, is from Thomas Jane, another ex-boyfriend. Um, Thomas Jane has filed a claim for $150,000, saying that it's a loan that was not yet repaid to him by Anne Hayes. Now, we don't know how good his documentation is or anything like that, but if Anne Hayes had to borrow $150,000, meaning that she lacked liquidity enough to the point where right. she had to borrow one hundred and fifty dollars from someone... It's possible, unless her you know, money was all tied up in real estate ventures or something like that, that there really isn't very much hanging out there um, that to actually sue against. You know, she may not have, she may have expectations in money that's coming in gradually, like these um, residuals for acting roles. Sure, sure. But she may not have accumulated very much wealth. Right. So what type of documentation would this ex-lover have to have, like uh, um, it would, a promissory it would, note mm-hmm, or something? It would be something? a promissory note um, for the loan and an agreement of repayment terms. Um, well, you know, you think if she does, she didn't have a will, do you think she would have been that thorough in 
<laughs> I mean, if he filed something, he probably had some sort of exhibit. If he didn't, if he was just like, oh, hey, I want to write a letter saying she, you know, we we did that other uh, celebrity probate with the post-it notes. So, you know, yeah, with never, Tony Shea. even with really um, educated people, uh, which not everyone in Hollywood is, uh, yeah. they seem to think of things as like what's fair or what's practical. And that doesn't always align with the law. So. I haven't seen, I wasn't able to find any documentation of what his claim uh, entailed uh, for that $150,000 loan. But just the existence of it is just very concerning to Mm -hmm. me because you're rooting for these kids at the end of the day to get some sort of inheritance and for it not all to go to lawsuits. And so if it's $4 million, will it be cleaned out by the two lawsuits? Most likely not. Okay. Um, But if it's lower than $4 million— and we've just have this ongoing dribs and drabs of things that you know, book royalties and things like that coming into the estate. Um, there's a possibility that the kids will keep getting money, a little bit of money later on, but it whatever's there right now may be wiped out by these lawsuits. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised, Nina, if you know more lawsuits start cropping up. I mean, we see this. In these types of situations. Or claims of some kind. Claim, or, yeah, yeah, creditor claims, mm-hmm. things like that. I would not be surprised at all. Um, I'm a little surprised, though, that that was um, her net worth. I mean, or at this point, I, I would have thought it would have been more, but I guess, you know, like I said earlier at the opening of the show, she was very unstable. She didn't have a ton of stability. And actually, um, in preparation for this, I went ahead and looked at her IMDb. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, there there was a lot of television there. So she may be getting, you know, syndicated residuals as well. But um, there weren't a ton of huge roles. I think she was in the public eye. Mm-hmm. She was a significant other of Ellen DeGeneres for a little while. Right. So we all know who she is, or at least anybody that's our age and up knows yeah, who yeah, she yeah. is, right? But she really hasn't been in anything huge that you would say, wow, that must have been like a, you know, an absolutely right, huge a blockbuster role. movie. No, but yeah. she's done a lot of movies. Um, so that's, I don't know, it just kind of surprised me. I thought it would have been a little bit more. You know, I didn't think it was going to be anything, you know, like say um, the level of, uh, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow or anything like that. But, But, you know, she also didn't have an estate planning binder with all of her assets in it. So when people are making estimates of what she may or may not have had, we really don't know. I mean, she could have had investments in something that hasn't been documented yet because no one has had enough control to actually contact a company and Mm -hmm. get a statement of what her balances were. No one's had control over any of that. Right. Yeah. You know, when we're looking at all of this, it's like, okay, so what could have been done better? Yeah. What can we learn from this? Everything. Everything could have been done better. But like, you know, what's a practical point? And so starting with the fact that when you have children from various relationships um, and you may have custody agreements, you know, you may have all of those things in place. And and especially if you have a child who's still a minor at the end of a relationship, it is very important to make sure that things are documented so that if something happens to you, that funds can be used for the support of that minor. But you may not want them paid directly 
or to have the control be with the person who you are no longer in a relationship with. Exactly. And so that's why it is so very easy to set up not a custodian, because that is a nightmare, but a trustee of a trust who has some fiduciary duty, but also has some flexibility to say, okay, you need a a check in a week to go for a summer camp or something like that. Yes, I can go ahead and write that. But what you don't want is somebody who is also the, the guardian of that minor to be making a decision as to whether it falls under health, education, maintenance, and support to install a pool in your backyard right? in California. Yeah. Um, uh, which, you know— Everybody has a pool everybody in California. Everybody has a, cal- a pool in California. Right. Uh, but, I mean, that's not within the purview of what these funds are supposed to be used for. So what would be the best thing to do? Get someone that's you know, doesn't have any real— you- like, you can, you can like, set up a corporate trustee. You can even make yeah. the guardian a co-trustee with that corporate trustee. But generally, you want to set an age that you think you hopefully outlive this age, but in this case, well, sure. not. Um, you want to set an age that your minor child could start to be their own trustee, but until that point that they're dealing with somebody who has the capability of being impartial um, and making sure that all of the nuts and bolts um, of the trust are followed— and kind of giving those training wheels to your kid to teach them how to handle this account so that it's just not all gone by the time, you know, that they're getting ready to go off to school or by the time that they're yeah. done with school. I mean, you think of an 18-year-old or even a 21-year-old. Um, that and, money and could go Homer. really, really fast, yep. you know? So we hope that Homer actually does get a share of the estate and that there's an estate to get a share of. But— the best case scenario for him right now is because he's over the age of 18, he's going to get a check of an outright distribution. And like I said, maybe checks over time because of these residuals. So they're going to have to keep the estate open. And what what did we learn about, you know, how much does a revocable trust cost? Well, in California, it costs more than it does in the Midwest. Yes, I'm right? sure. But I'm going to guarantee you it is minuscule in comparison to the amount that they are paying these attorneys. So just keeping in mind that your priority on these lawsuits, and we've talked about this in other shows about probate, when you're going to pay people, the first people who get paid are attorneys. Are attorneys, right. The second people who get paid are the IRS. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We can't forget about them. We'd like to, but we can't. We can't. Um, And then after that, you know, you are talking about funeral expenses and things like that are reimbursed to people. So there are certain costs that, in addition right. to attorney's fees that can be reimbursed. Um, sometimes if there's a spouse, there's a little flat rate amount that the spouse can take before creditors. But after that, you're looking at secured and then unsecured creditors. And that is before anybody, even under a will or a trust, would get their distribution. So you're talking about the beneficiaries uh, before, yeah, exactly. they, okay. before they would recover. So we have all of these things, including attorney's fees, that are going to come out before you actually get to talk about whether anyone's going to recover anything, including these lawsuits. Mm -hmm. And so with the attorney's fees, if the attorney's fees are exorbitant for this probate and and all of this fighting that happened over months about who was going to be the personal representative, and then you have these lawsuits, the question is the lawyers are going to get paid Something will probably be paid unless these, you know, to defend these 
other lawsuits on behalf of the estate. Right. And then if they win, um, or they most likely will settle, you know, for something because the damages really were there, most likely. Right. From, from what I can read of they, it. Yeah, they said it was like an inferno or something. I read. Yeah, I mean, I it mean, was I bad. don't know. It doesn't yeah, matter it whether it was an accident. It was still something where she, you know, she ran into she a did. house. So either, you know, either or both of those lawsuits will have to be settled, and then whatever's left after that is what the kids are going to be splitting. So when it comes down to it, we may we may have a, like a little bit of a womp womp recap on this where we're just not really thrilled yeah. to report what people are getting, but it's that much more important for anyone who's listening to this to say, wow, even someone with $4 million can have that kind of frittered away before it even gets to the distribution process in probate with something that was as simple as drafting a will, preferably a will that references a trust. A trust, yes, absolutely. Um, but a will that says, here's who my personal representative is going to be. And if I have minor children at that time, here's who's going to represent their interests. Yeah, this certainly is a mess. And, uh, you know, this could take, what, years because to be of resolved. the pe- It really could because um, of the pendency of the lawsuit. So we're, we're talking about it today because the way in my crystal ball, the way I'm looking at this, w- since we have to wait for these other potential lawsuits to be resolved, Mm -hmm. it could be some time before we're doing a recap on it. I I can only imagine. Oh, wow. I mean, Anne, come on. So, you know, we we talked before, you know, you can't just write something down on paper or in an email in this case and expect it to be legal. Um, But we had talked before about there's a case or there was a case in rural Missouri. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you kind So I talked to an attorney. He wore it like a badge of honor that he had been able to get a will in in the nether regions of Missouri in a county actually admitted where the will was drafted. It was approved by the client, and it was about to be signed in in the lawyer's office, and it had not been signed, and it had so it had no signature, no witnesses, and it was actually admitted. Now, I asked him if the will was controversial, and he said it was not. So basically, the court didn't want to deal with an intestate succession. They sure. wanted to deal with the terms of the will that were already going to who they would have gone to, even without a will, just a little bit easier of a distance between two lines. And the court did admit it. But it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't electronic. It was just a document that maybe didn't fit the form of the statute. That, now, I didn't see the case. I didn't see the will. Um, It could be an urban myth. But that's about as close as you're going to get is getting somebody who, you know, doesn't even have an electronic filing system for their county happens to be like, all right, all right, let me file stamp this and put it in. No one is going to use an email. And if you hear someone talking about an electronic will, that is not the same thing no. as an email and probably will never be. No, no. So in this case, it was the process, the legal process was started for the will. Just this individual passed away before signing, correct? Exactly. So the actual draft of the will, you know, it was in its final form, ready for the client's signature, and they just hadn't signed it yet. Okay. Um, but that's about as close as you know I've ever heard to something like that happening. And people talk about things like holographic wills, depending on the state that a person is in. 
What is that? Um, a holographic will is something that was actually written by the client. So, you know, I had a case where a client actually scribbled something on a napkin <laughs> and <laughs> in the hospital after his meal and had people like, you know, actually witness it and whatnot, you still have to go through the process of authentication. And it's not the type of thing that's going to keep you from having to apply for a bond or, you know, actually appointing a personal representative. But it is saying how that person wanted things to go. Um, They happened to have a long-term girlfriend and they wanted their girlfriend who had taken care of them while they were sick to get money and not just to all go to their kids. So you can actually, as an attorney representing the estate or representing the girlfriend, you can make an argument for that will in certain states to have that admitted as what was going to be the distribution of that property. But it still has to be signed and normally witnessed by someone. Signing a napkin. Wow. Um, yeah, it was really messy. I bet. So what ended up happening? Oh, it was admitted, but it was in a state, it was in uh, Alabama. Okay. So I can't, I'm not really since in Alabama, so I cannot speak to the exact, yeah. you know, requirements. But uh, from a per- perspective of the, the guy had a pending lawsuit that he was going to recover money on, and that's where I was involved. Okay. Um, we were trying to figure out where, you know, where the funds were going to be and who were going to be the beneficiaries, and his girlfriend ended up, ended up actually being able to recover somewhat. But that's, if you hear the term holographic will, that is sometimes that's what one that, that means. somebody has just kind of scribbled their own type of a thing, and it may not fit the format or the requirements of something that's going to be automatically admitted. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, is an email a holographic will? All these things come up in technology sure. um, that we, you know, the courts have to look at. And depending on what your state you're in, they may have addressed it already. There may be authority to that, you know, aspect of a will, and there may not. You may be the first person, lucky you, that's trying to make an argument on this. The biggest thing about this particular thing aspect of this email is that it doesn't say everything just goes to the ex-boyfriend. It's saying that he's supposed to take the funds for the benefit of minor children. Okay. And I think that the court can find a happy medium between that by naming him as the guardian and custodian of the funds that come from the estate. And so there probably won't be a ton of litigation unless Homer proves that Tupper is not acting in his son's best, best interest. interest. Right, right, right. And that's a mm. whole other thing. And at this point, with how much they've already spent on attorneys, I doubt that people are going to try to make a mountain out of a molehill as they start to figure out how many assets there are or are not. Are not, right. Yeah. And that will, only time will tell. I mean, right. this is still very much a fluid situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who knows? I mean, they may recover some major assets that, we don't know about yet. Right. Or she may have had some sort of life insurance. He didn't even have authority right. to reach out about that and, and to start looking into those things. And there's a database that you can look at to find out if there's life insurance. Um, and so now he has the capability of being able to do that. But let's talk about our average person. You know, these types of expenses, all of this infighting and things being dragged out in litigation, uh, people who have seen bills before are like, you know, when they talk to me about avoiding probate, they say, I never imagined it would be that expensive. And sometimes they don't really like the way that their attorney spent their time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But other times they'll say, I know it actually took this long. And it was just so many documents that they had to go through and so many phone calls they had to have with different people. And it just racks up that time. So somebody has to pay the bill for that attorney's time. The time is necessary, but the actual process was unnecessary. It could have been avoided with properly drafted estate planning documents. And it's so simple to do that. And we've covered that a gazillion times Mm -hmm. on the show where, you know, go meet your estate planning attorney. Hopefully it's Nina. (laughs) Or or anyone reputable. Or or anybody reputable. Yes, yes. But really, I mean, you go to an estate planning attorney. They will tailor that will, that trust, to meet your final wishes. Right. And you can always change it later. You know, if if Anne had uh, outlived the age where Atlas was over the age of 18 and she had some different wishes about how she wanted to structure things, knowing what the financial acumen was of her kids and wanted to put Mm -hmm. some fail safes in place for them or incentivize them to, you know, have certain benchmarks to accomplish as far as education or any of those things. Um, There is always something that's unique about a situation But a blended family, which even though she didn't have a partner at the time of her passing and she wasn't married, um, she did have a blended family. She had children from separate relationships. And that is always a complex enough situation that you want to have documented roadmaps for how funds are going to be handled uh, at your incapacity or at at your passing. Yeah. And she wasn't married to either father. No. Correct? No. Okay. No, she wasn't. I didn't think so. Originally, she was married, I think, to— her oldest son's father, but she divorced. So she Homer. was married. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay. But it wouldn't matter anyway it wouldn't because matter they're anyway. divorced. But it, it is interesting the level of confidence that this ex-boyfriend has like, oh, hey, I have a, a piece of this pie. I'm supposed to have some control right. here, which just shows you that people really don't understand how this stuff works. And so they'll go hire an attorney who's willing to represent them and they'll drag things out and they'll cause a big mm-hmm. hassle. But generally... It's, you know, it's futile, and a good attorney is going to tell you when you do have a very good case um, for involvement and when you don't instead of just taking your money. Now, Um, do we know if Anne and um, Atlas's father were on good terms? Um, You know, they weren't involved anymore romantically, of course, but were they on good terms? I think they may have been on good terms who— ironically may not have been on good terms was that the evidence that's been presented is that Homer, her eldest son, really wasn't in communication with her much prior to her passing. Right. So what Tupper is really trying to make a case for is that he's not a good fiduciary because he really didn't care about what, you know, what she wanted or may not have had a lot of communication with her prior to her passing that he would know what she wanted. And the court says, we don't care. Now, they weren't estranged. There was just not a lot of— There's some evidence of that, but, I mean, you know, estranged is such a broad term. Um, And we know that she was having a difficult time in in certain ways before she passed. So, you know, we really don't know. But the ruling from the court says it's basically immaterial, that he's been proven competent, and that from the statute's perspective, he's the next person in line. He's the next of kin, right. unless he's proven to not be competent to serve by someone else. Um, throughout this process, which now he's starting to get control of assets. So there should, you know, there might be uh, 
further accusations down the line if yeah. things start to disappear, that for the time being, the court is saying he's in charge and that nobody else really has a say above him with respect to gathering and distributing the assets. And, you know, I don't know this young man at all, but again, being 20, I, I remember what I was like when I was 20. I was somewhat mature, but I was immature too. I just really hope that he reaches out to those who can help him navigate through this process responsibly. I mean, right. you know, with the money. Right. Well, he has um, he has an attorney. He had a family law attorney who had probably handled some things. Um, yeah. But Brian Phipps is his attorney, which I, I don't know anything about Mr. Phipps, but he is representing the estate specifically. So he right. has an attorney who should be able to direct him to different people to actually deal with some of these issues if Mr. Phipps can't help him himself. However, there's a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit of dry humor in the fact that Mr. Phipps came out of this hearing um, with the ruling that Homer was going to be the estate representative over all of the assets and patted himself on the back and said, with Mr. Tupper's allegations and objections now resolved, we are hopeful the administration of the estate can proceed without unnecessary complication. Going through what he just went through with this aspect and the fact that there are already at least one claim and two pending lawsuits. Yes. That is very overly optimistic on his part. I and would I think say that so. the, unfortunately for this family, this is just the beginning of the unnecessary complications with this estate. So if you're looking at, okay, what could you have done at the front end? Draft documents appropriately. Right. On the tail end, when you're already in a probate, you hit the nail on the head. Um, Jill, which is just you want to make sure that you surround yourself as an estate representative mm -hmm. with people who can mitigate the cost as much as possible while still providing you with good representation and connecting you with financial professionals and other professionals like estate appraisers, you know, all kinds of people sure. that are a good dream team during the probate process because it's nobody wants to end up in the probate process, but you need to have good professionals, just like somebody who's a politician with a good cabinet. You know, you mm -hmm. need to pick people who are have an expertise that you don't. As a 20-year-old, you probably don't have very much expertise in anything, and that's okay. No, you don't have the life experience yet. I mean, but, you're 20. Yeah, but you have to try to pick people who can help you. Yes, so. definitely, definitely. By the way, are you an Ann Page fan? I mean, I think I saw Six Days, Seven Nights way back when, but I don't I don't think I've watched very much stuff with her. But like I said, she was so familiar. Like I think she was out and about and yeah. you know, well known. But do you have a favorite? Um, you know, I, I have always thought she was a phenomenal actress. I mean, you know, who she was in real life, that's a different story. You know, like I said, very unstable. But you know, I couple of movies that I really loved her in was uh, Gracie's Choice mm -hmm. with Kristen Bell. Okay. And, I mean, she just did an outstanding job in that movie and this other movie uh, called Fatal Desire. And, you know, she really um, did such a wonderful job playing the girl from the wrong side of the tracks. And mm. I don't think it was a far stretch for her because she really was, you know, at 
the girl from the wrong side of the tracks. A Hollywood outsider. Well, and I mean, just because the way she grew up and grew up very poor and kind of rough. So she was able to really, really embrace those roles. But yeah, I thought she was a great actress. Um, You know, I I admit I didn't see any of her more, I guess you would say, more popular movies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I did like her as an actress. Well, it's always sad when we have to talk about one of these cases. And we hope that people can find that there's some similarities there as far as the practical aspects of just getting your stuff together. You know, we're at, at the beginning, it's a new year, and it's a new opportunity to take a look at things and just try to get things in order because whether somebody becomes sick or someone unexpectedly passes away, it's such a benefit to have that organizational level there. And it doesn't matter whether they have $50,000 or they have $4 million, $4 million or, um, $10 million. or $10 million, um, it's... It's necessary to have these things in place, particularly if there are minor children. And one of the things that's interesting about this is that this is a single person with minor children. Mm -hmm. And we always talk about how, you know, single people need estate documents just as much or more than married couples. And this is a perfect example of that because, you know, some of the people that she was talking about were ex-relationships. And, you know, I since this case has made, you know, headlines, I, I really hope it serves as, you know, a way to get people, you know, to say, hey, I haven't made my will or a trust. Um, I don't want this happening to me, even though it, for most people it would be on a much smaller scale. But again, it can create a mess. Yeah. And you would hope people would look at this and say, hey, you know what? I need to take care of this. Yep. I I mean, I really hope so. And we're always here to answer questions if that's the case, even if people are kind of just taking that first step to ask what would apply to their situation. Uh, But it's an easy sell that you at least need powers of attorney in place. And you always need to make sure that you've had a chance to have an opinion about who you would want to handle the money for a minor child if Mm -hmm. if you've left them behind. Right, right. Now, when you do... um an estate plan for someone, um, a trust. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't there a, a payment plan? Because I think a lot of people do get... There is. They think, oh, no, I got to pay all of this money up front to have this trust made. Yep. But there is a payment plan. There is, yep. Generally, some people just like to get it you know, done by the time that they end their representation. So generally, we do uh, the first half up front and then the second half once everybody's happy with their documents. We've met however many times and then they're signing them. Um, but if someone wants to do a payment plan, we have uh, at Tucker Allen, we don't have uh, an issue with setting one up without any impact to their credit. It's 25% of whatever they've chosen to do sure. up front. And then 12 months, no interest financing after that. Um, the interesting thing that we do that we've found out not everyone does is that we actually provide uh, the opportunity for people to get their estate planning documents finalized and take them home before their payment plan is done. Um, so we're not going to you know, hold, say, oh, until your, your bill is paid, right. you don't, we don't get hold, it. You don't get it. We don't have a room where we're holding documents hostage. <laughs> um, we go ahead. We want you the to have them as soon room. as. Yeah, we want you to have them as soon as possible. Um, you've taken that step to be responsible and get your documents in place. And so you can continue to make uh, payments towards that payment plan after you already have your documents. But your binder goes home with you once you've signed uh, your documents and once your drafts are completed. So it's a really great 
great uh, program and it allows people to pick the product that most, you know, best fits their situation versus saying, oh, no, I just want to do my powers of attorney now, even if they really do need these other documents and spread it out over time. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Nina Windsor, we've learned a lot today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jill. And uh, I'm sure we'll circle back on this topic because I think it's going to be going on for a very, very long time. We're going to keep tabs. Maybe have to read that memoir in the meantime. Yes, that's on my bucket list. In the meantime, thank you for joining us for Life's Third Act. Until next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.